Thank you for joining and welcome. Hey everyone, my name is Colin Better, the Principal Emerging Technology Professional Practices here at ISACA. And joining me today is a very special guest, the Director of the Red Team at Adobe, Justin Toplitsky. Justin, thank you for joining me today. I am excited for this discussion with you as I'm currently on my journey to hopefully one day do red teaming myself. So thank you for being here and spreading your knowledge. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for uh, inviting me to talk about red teaming here today. No problem. So before we get started, why don't you just give us a little background about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been working on red teams for like large software companies for the past seven years. So kind of started my career out doing my own thing, uh, just learning on the side, using some of the public content that's out there. And then eventually I was able to land a spot on the Intuit Red Team when it was just forming. So getting to do a lot of fun stuff there, get into environments, learn a lot of cloud things, a lot of DevOps related stuff. And then eventually about two years later, I got called up to work at Microsoft and uh, someone reached out and said, hey, do you want to work on Xbox? You want to go work on, you know, hacking all these things in Microsoft? I said, yes. So I spent about five years doing basically like internal, you know, assume compromise type stuff. And then recently last year in September, I went to join Adobe so that I could build their red team from, you know, the ground up and see how we can build kind of a new innovative type of red team, having taken, you know, things that we learned from traditional red teams and improving upon that. Awesome. Well, that leads me into my first question. What is it like to build a red team from scratch? And then is there anything that you did differently to, to build your red team from scratch over at Adobe? Yeah, so when we first started, we pretty much had nothing. Uh, it was just me and one other person, and then we built up to two additional people, but we didn't have any tools set up. We didn't have anything ready to go. So basically, we did it kind of scrappy. Uh, we used a lot of like free cloud credits to get things going, kind of building our own tool sets from the ground up. But we wanted to tap into, you know, previous experience that I had, what was working, what didn't really work. From the point of view of, people that are on the team, I want to make sure like I was a previous operator. I want to make sure that I built a team where operators could focus on testing, not a lot on planning, not a lot of time on the, you know, reports that people don't really look at. So I took that into consideration. And then I also took the business into consideration. How can we do things in a more data-driven way so that the business could clearly understand what we were trying to convey to them? And we'd have a reason for them to go do work with data to back it so we could avoid security fatigue. And then we also worked on having you know a lot better reporting instead of writing reports typically what we do is we dashboard stuff out or we go and accumulate information about the impact of the attacks that we do so that we could have a really good conversation with those teams that actually have to go make those fixes awesome so how is your team using adversary intelligence to discover what attackers are doing yeah so the adversary intelligence part is really interesting so we also have a newly emerging adversary intelligence team at adobe what they're allowing us to do is go from your typical approach to security, which is thinking an attacker could, which has created a lot of security fatigue. Hey, let's go fix this just because an attacker could. And they're providing us with a lot of information about what attackers are actually doing. So they're spending their time collecting any feeds that they can. For example, uh, CISA's actively exploited vulnerabilities is like a very simple feed you can absorb. They're looking at attack surface information also about like how we're getting poked and prodded and, and what that can tell us about what attackers are interested in. And then they're also doing uh, kind of threat intelligence stuff and looking on the dark web and looking at different places to discover like how people are exchanging information from uh, previous things that we've experienced. So they take all of this, put it together, and they inform us uh, in kind of a data way about what attackers are doing. And then we can formulate 
some of our attacks around that. Now we don't lose any of the scope. We still run full scope red team engagements, but obviously we are driven by that what attackers are actually doing as opposed to what they could be doing. Right. So what are attack maps and how can they be useful for organizations to review? Attack maps are actually really interesting. Um, it's a technique that I've used across multiple organizations and companies that I've worked for, but you go out and you do a very technical set of steps when you do red teaming. And there's a whole lot of things that happen. Uh, there's a whole lot of trial and error, but ultimately in the end, you want to kind of distill down that information into, uh, let's say one slide, it just, which is how I usually build the attack maps. And then you want to say, or you want to put onto those slides pretty much what the attack looked like without all of the technical information. So you want to give somebody who is going to have to go fix that or somebody who's going to be responsible for allocating resources to go fix something, a really good overview of what that looks like. So for example, you break down the attack into different pieces and kind of bringing them along about what you did and what that means to them. For example, I was able to execute my code on your service as opposed to you know you running your service. And then it also presents another opportunity. We're able to say very clearly what the impact is. So we're able to use symbols, icons, uh, different pieces of information to say, after we pulled off that attack, here's all of the impact in a way that you can understand so that you don't really have to get into the nitty gritty to understand what we did. So you mentioned some symbols and things uh, that you use to map out these attacks. What do you mean by that, I guess? Absolutely, yeah. So if we attack a certain kind of database, you know, MySQL or PostgreSQL, sometimes we'll go and grab some of those icons and put them into the attack map. So it's kind of clear. People recognize these icons. They have relationships with these, you know, different words that they use to describe different services and softwares. And by using those, we don't have to tell as much of a detailed story. They just get a clear understanding. Hey, we were able to reach this thing. And they kind of make that cognitive connection about uh, what we were actually able to reach when they can see icons. Yeah, that makes sense. So why is it valuable to conduct a post-mortem review of every attack, both on a simulated side and within the real world? So this is something I really picked up like in the past couple of years. The post-mortem really allows you to accumulate all your attack data and put it together. And when you accumulate that attack data, as opposed to like old school traditional red teaming where you just do your attack and you move on, you're able to put together like what are the systemic issues that are occurring during your attack that you can identify and kind of looking at what you can carry from one engagement to the next. So instead of just doing one engagement and moving on, data gets collected across engagement. And this is really where, you know, those systemic issue kind of things kick in and you're able to put together meaningful information to go persuade teams to change things. So instead of just saying, hey, on this one operation or campaign, we're able to do this, you're saying, hey, this is becoming a reoccurring pattern. We're seeing this across multiple campaigns. The other thing is that, you know, you also want to review your campaigns with incident response so that you can understand you know where you were detected where you were not detected obviously red teaming is a big component of you know working with the blue team as well and, and trying to understand like how can they get better at disrupting and stopping us therefore reaching their goal of hopefully disrupting and slowing down attackers that are you know actually trying to pull things off and then the last part of that is really about just updating the executive team giving the information they need to go move around the pieces and, and get things fixed in the way that they would see fit. So I guess when it comes to, you know, repairing those vulnerabilities and, and finding those vulnerabilities, because there's, I'm sure there's quite a bit that you find, how do you guys, I guess, categorize them or 
make sure you're handling the ones that are the most important uh, before you get to some of the other ones. Yeah, so this is where the data-driven part really kicks in. There's obviously a lot of vulnerabilities out there and you can go and you can take a vulnerability and you can say, hey, because this is a vulnerability, we want you to go fix it. But we really like to move past that. We really like to deliver the 1% of the 1%. So you get this big bulk load of vulnerabilities reported. And then of those, you'll find that, let's say 1% of those are actually exploitable. And then what you get left with is, okay, I was able to exploit these vulnerabilities. I am off on the systems. I am running code on the systems. But what impact do I actually have there? And that's where we get the 1% of the 1%. I'm actually able to exploit the opportunity and then I'm able to make impact. Now, impact is one of the vectors that we can use to say, hey, this is the meaningful thing to go and fix. We also take into consideration the accumulation of that impact. So how many files were we able to access? How many secrets were we able to pillage? Things like this. So when we put that all together in a meaningful way in a dashboard and team of engineers can go look at it and say, okay, here's all of our issues. And it is this many files compromised, this many secrets compromised, you know, this level of lateral movement. If we go close those tickets, that's the impact we're going to make. We're going to be able to stop, you know, adversaries from being able to reach that same impact. So I guess, how does your team use storytelling to influence positive security changes throughout the organization? Uh, yes, yeah, storytelling. Um, that's actually a skill that I picked up in the past couple of years. If you would have told me to do it five years ago, I probably would have said, why do they need anything else but the cold, hard facts? Uh, but the reality is when you try to convey really technical information up to executives, um, they really don't need to get into the weeds and you shouldn't expect them to get into the weeds. So what we do is we do storytelling. And what storytelling does um, is it removes a lot of technical jargon and it creates a story around the attacks that we're pulling off. And that also makes the attack real. So we're able to tell a story about a certain adversary and how and why they were able to get to the point where they decided that, you know, we were a target that was interesting to them. And then continuous, continuously telling that storytelling in a way that by the time they get to the end of it, they can actually be impacted and feel that the work that you did is meaningful. So storytelling really helps us achieve that. It's going through a jungle of uncertainty and jargon and walking them through it in a way where they go, ah, I get what you're talking about. And I actually want to do something about that. Adobe is changing the world through digital experiences. Great experiences have the power to inspire, transform, and move the world forward. And every great experience starts with creativity. Creativity is in our DNA, and the future belongs to those who create. Our game-changing innovations are redefining the possibilities of digital experiences. We connect content and data and introduce new technologies that democratize creativity, shape the next generation of storytelling, and inspire entirely new categories of business. Making these great experiences requires trust. At Adobe, we're committed to protecting the security, privacy, and availability for our products, systems, and data, so you can deliver trusted experiences every day. You can learn more about our efforts at trust.adobe.com. So this, this next question is, uh, is pretty, pretty cool, I think. How, how can a red team expose vulnerabilities that developers unintentionally are creating? Yeah, so for the red team, red teams typically think kind of, they think about, you know, a holistic approach to security. So where a pen tester will go focus on one application and just report all the things that they can find in that one application, a red team will focus on the all-up security of the business. So what ends up happening here is you start understanding the developer's decisions 
when you're doing more than just reconnaissance, right? Reconnaissance is more than just collecting IPs, collecting open ports. It's really about deeply understanding the decisions the developers are making and the patterns that they're doing. So sometimes you're able to find a pattern where they're not doing something in a secure way, and then you can spread that and have you know significant amounts of impact across an attack surface. So when you really start understanding those patterns that they're working on, you can expose more than just vulnerabilities. You can expose the way that they're doing stuff. And then when you go report that, you might be able to report it as a systemic issue and say, hey, systemically, you're continuously doing this thing and it's leading to this issue. If we go fix the systemic issue, we're not just giving you a list of vulnerabilities and having you close them once just for them to reappear later. We're really crushing that entire issue at the root. And if we work together, we can make sure that we never see this vulnerability again. Cool. So what skills should security teams really be looking for today to ensure that they can really become more uh, attacker aware? Yeah, so as far as building a red team, which is a really interesting question because I'm working on uh, building up the red team even more, but one of the key things about red teaming is that it takes creativity. And as we know, creativity is pretty much Trump security for the past 20, 30 years. And creativity comes from thinking different and thinking different comes from having a different perspective. So. I've really learned over the past couple of years that having diversity on the team really is equal to having a lot of creativity because you get those multiple different perspectives and people put that lens on the red teaming and attacking in a way sometimes I just never expect and it leads to really significant impact. Another thing is passion. That's really big when you're building a team. Um, I always want to take into consideration like how fired up and excited is this person about red teaming and will they bring that to the job? And then the third thing is uh, when I'm looking at candidates and looking at different people who want to participate in Red Team, external presence is big. You can choose it however you want. It could be a GitHub that has code on it. It can be you know research that you dump directly on their Twitter. But if you are deeply passionate about Red Teaming and you do have that energy, it typically means that that probably has gone outside of your work or sometimes Red Teaming isn't currently at work and you're spending that additional time to represent yourself in that way outside of what you're doing on your day to day. Yep, I agree. I guess how long does a red team engagement with an organization normally last? I know some of them can be different, you know, for smaller organizations, larger organizations, uh, stuff like that. But is there a standard time normally how long a red team engagement lasts? So from the point of view of traditional red teams, sometimes they can be two, four, eight weeks, sometimes 12 weeks. But what we decided is that when we're building this team, attackers never stop attacking, so we never stop attacking. We do continuous testing, we never stop. Uh, we continuously ingest the adversary intelligence to understand you know, where we may want to go to understand what an attacker is doing and maybe we should you know, poke those different areas, but in general, we don't stop. We continuously attack, we continuously provide feedback to those engineering teams about what could possibly happen and how we can get ahead of those attackers in that sense. Well, that's a good segue into my next question. What type of attacks are companies most at risk from if they have not been able to adopt attacker-aware approach to date? Yeah, I honestly think if you're not thinking of you know that attacker-aware approach, it's probably you most likely you are getting continuously attacked and you don't know about it. And some people think of that as one person at a keyboard going after your company, but sometimes it could be an adversary has discovered a way to leverage your cloud assets to run crypto miners, and they're just going to continuously do that for long periods of time and you're just not aware of it. You don't have the law in place to be able to detect that kind of activity. Other times it's, you know, you're not really the specific target. It's just, there's a phishing campaign and 
you have a high click rate inside your organization. So it's very frequent that malware gets installed in your organization. And someone is either exfilling data back out or just taking advantage of what they can uh, use inside your organization. So it's sometimes the scariest thing is when you don't know that someone is inside and you are just getting leveraged by an attacker for your resources. And that's typically what I'll see when people don't have that attacker aware approach or really any kind of idea of, uh, or perspective about what attackers are actually doing and how it affects them. So what processes and approaches do you need to put in place to ensure a good working relationship between you know, red teamers and the rest of your security compliance organization? Working inside of a security organization, a lot of the time the red team is basically saying, hey, we need to go fix this issue or this is a problem. And if you're working with an incident response team, there can sometimes be a response to that like, hey, you're telling me that I'm not doing my job correct. And I've worked with this multiple times across multiple companies where I've said, how can we make this better, right? How can we work better together as a red and blue team? How can we collaborate with other teams? And someone just straight up said, trust. You just need to build that trust, right? You need to build trust. You need to have real, you know, human conversations with people about what you're trying to achieve and, and get people on board and just, just be very honest and uh, straightforward about asking for partnership and what that is going to mean. Um, the other thing is sharing. Nobody really wants to work with a team that's not sharing in a way where they don't understand what you're doing. They don't know what you're doing yet. You want to maintain the integrity of red teaming. When you're performing red teaming and you're, you're moving around a network, you're obviously not going to report yourself or say, hey, I'm here, hey, I'm there. Kind of in the postmortem, if you're being very clear and transparent about that, um, you're allowing the information from that red team campaign to be leveraged by other parts of your organization to you know, improve detection and response. Awesome. So what's one of the top things a security team can start doing today to help them better defend against even more sophisticated attacks and attackers? Yeah, obviously I'm a little bit biased here. I would say red teaming, but I don't know that every company is facing the kind of situation where they'll need a red team. Like I said before, some companies are just facing attacks as a bigger campaign that attacker is going across all companies or all of the internet looking for something and you're continuously getting picked off. So if you can't have a red team or you don't have a red team or it doesn't make sense for you to have an advanced uh, attacker emulating attacks against your company, Sometimes getting a little bit of threat intelligence about where attackers are and whether or not your company has been affected by that is a less expensive way to go out and make an investment to understand where attackers are, what and why and all that. As well as preparing for ransomware, there's definitely been a big increase in ransomware over the past couple of years because it's a huge incentive for attackers. It doesn't require as much work as other attacks. It leads to you know, them being able to encrypt and remove the control of very important files in a company from that company. And then the payout is huge sometimes, sometimes, in, you know, multi-millions and tens of millions of dollars. So when you think about the work an attacker has to put in and the amount of reward they're going to get, this is definitely not an attack that's going to go away. And then also just red-blue collaboration. That's another big part of it. When you're defending against sophisticated attackers, a continuous cycle of red and blue talking to each other and improving and saying, hey, I pulled off you know, this particular attack. Were you able to pull logs and see that? Okay, you don't have an alert on that. Let's go flip that switch. Let's get the logging in place. Let's get that alerting in place. And let me go rerun that attack. And let's make sure that next time somebody comes to and attempts that, they are not successful or you at least have a leg up in being able to disrupt that attack before it goes any further. Yeah, and one thing that I, the way that I think about attackers, I mean, their incentive is basically they're doing a full-time job 
they're making a buttload of money doing these doing these attacks. So I mean, I don't see it ever stopping. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for all intent and purposes, I consider the red team basically uh, another attacker for attackers that have better morals, right? We're going to share that information with you. But if you keep your mind as a red teamer in that mindset of what can I get from this company that I can monetize? What can I do that's impactful? How would I play a role in the adversary ecosystem to provide something from this company back into that ecosystem? Then you're really thinking like a red teamer, less like somebody who's going to give you know, just a list of issues to go fix. I'm, I'm a, the emerging technology guy here at ISACA. So I guess, what is your output or what do you think is going to happen within you know, five to 10 years, the red team, blue team industry and cybersecurity, I guess, in general, do you think the threat landscape is going to change? Yeah, I think the threat landscape is always changing. Unfortunately, attackers are getting more sophisticated and, and they're continuously making more investment into you know their ability to reach their goals. They're also able to leverage a whole lot of new information. Uh, like technology has improved in a lot of ways and security has improved in a lot of ways to, to where there's a lot of open source stuff out there. Um, you can build upon open source stuff so you don't have to start from scratch when, when you're building techniques, you know, do attacks. Technical documentation, I feel, has gotten better. And this just leads to a point where attackers don't have to start at square one. They can leverage a lot of things out there. So as technologies are changing and we're moving from virtual machines to containers and automation to Kubernetes, these are opportunities where attackers are just getting new things to attack and new places where they can be more knowledgeable than the person deploying those things and have additional information about what that threat landscape looks like and just leverage that information again. It almost starts to cycle every time we go to, you know, a new batch of technology. Like I said, we've gone from where we were to a lot of cloud native. It just gives them a whole bunch of new opportunities. As much as I hate to end this great conversation, it's all the time that we have left for today. If you're interested in learning more about Adobe, click the link in the description below. Again, thank you, Justin, for being our guest. And a huge thank you to Adobe for sponsoring this ISACA podcast episode. That's it for this episode. I'm Colin Better, and thank you everyone for tuning in.